at Christ Community Church. This morning, we're going to be in Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. So if you would be turning in your Bibles to that passage, and as you're turning there, I want to give you the key truth that we want to walk away with from this morning. It's as debtors to the gospel, we cultivate our affections for others by giving thanks for God's work in them and praying for opportunities to be mutually encouraged with them. Let me read that again. As debtors to the gospel, we cultivate our affections for others by giving thanks for God's work in them and praying for opportunities to be mutually encouraged with them. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning, this is Romans 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually encourage, be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In, in preparation of our hearts for this text, the, the opening question that I have for us is, what causes you to give thanks? What is it that you see, experience that, that causes you to pause and, and, and to show gratitude? If you're like me, uh, part of what we would have to confess is we really are tilted toward giving thanks for or showing gratitude for that which benefits us. It's not a bad thing. We should do that. But I, unfortunately, have to confess that I don't often give thanks for the good things that God is doing in other people's lives that really don't have a direct benefit on me. And in fact, what that does is uh, it affects my affections toward them. And in fact, sometimes it makes me jealous, if I'm honest. It makes me covet, in some sense, uh, what they what they have or w what God is doing in their life that maybe I don't see him doing in mine. And this this needs to be mortified. And so if you're, you're like me in that regard, this is a good text for us. This is a formative text to help us think through some of these things so that we would be a, a more united church. Because what we give thanks for ultimately evidences the orientation of our heart. If it's only for selfish things, if we don't have the ability to rejoice with those who rejoice, even when it is not directly benefiting us, then the orientation of our heart is selfish. And that's, that's, there's good news in being confronted with that and knowing that we can be forgiven in Christ for that orientation and that we are indwelt by the Spirit so as to have our hearts reoriented, so as to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice even when it doesn't benefit us directly. And so let's see Paul's example as we step into the first verse. Now remember the circumstance. This is a divided church, and he 
though he has never met them, he, he longs to be of benefit to them and see them uh, healed, see that rift healed and the power of the gospel of God in and through Christ alone, by faith alone, through God's grace alone. And so he continues as part of his introduction to lay this amazing foundation that will serve well as he has to get into some, some hard things, as he has to challenge some of the ways in which they have abused their theology. They've actually twisted their theology in a very selfish way. So notice what he does after that masterful greeting that, that we heard about last week. He continues. He says, first, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the earth. Notice he is doing something that you may have heard of termed appreciative inquiry. It's just a, a, a way. It's, in fact, we've talked about this often at Christ Community Church, encouraging you to take time, particularly on the Lord's Day Sabbath, to talk about how God has been good in his providence to you and us, his people. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is, is that radiating out and being able to do that, witness to that in other people's lives when it has no direct benefit to us. There's not anything that we're involved in. We just get to hear about it. And so Paul here shows his personal relationship to God. He says, I thank my God. And he's recognizing that all the good that is done comes from God's sovereign hand. It's not because of anything unique to either the Jewish Christians or the Gentile Christians. It's nothing unique even to the Roman church. It's unique to God who uses their circumstance for the life of the world and for his glory. And so he's taking time to recognize this. And he makes it very clear that this occurs through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the means by which uh, the, the good things that are happening in the Roman church came to pass, right? So, so remember, this was a, a beautiful, the Roman church initially was a beautiful picture of God's reconciling purposes and abilities. In fact, in other places, Paul refers to the mystery of the gospel being evidenced in Gentiles and Jews being brought together, that middle wall of separation coming down. Don't forget the word Gentile just means not a Jew and would have included a vast uh, array of people from different ethnicities and races and nationalities. And so he is giving thanks for what God has done through Jesus Christ in them. And notice, again, the unifying language that he uses, and we want to keep our eyes out for this all throughout the letter. He says, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And he's recognizing there's, it, it would be useless to give thanks only for one part, to elevate one group over the other, especially given his position, who he represents as an apostle, a sent one, as a slave to Christ. If he were to pick one group over the other, that would be devastating confirmation of, of the, the sinful division that was going on uh, between the two groups. And so this is something we need to actually be cognizant of as well, that, that we are not in, in any way, shape, or form dividing through what we approve of, dividing or elevating one group over another for personal preference. We need to be the, the kind of people who cry out to the Lord and say, give us eyes to see, Lord, where you are at work through Christ in a vast uh, array of people. And, and, a, and, and a varying groups, varying churches in our area. This is one of the reasons why we pray for other churches as part of our pastoral prayer. And we not just not just in our presbytery, but we pray for other churches that we know of who are, 
are seeking to share the gospel, even though they may not be of our denomination, we recognize their, our kinship in Christ. It's one of the reasons why we pray for our missionaries. And I would encourage you, uh, those we serve through faith promise, make sure you sign up to receive their newsletter so you can hear and be encouraged by what they are doing locally and internationally. Um, be encouraged by what God is doing through them uh, in the person and work of Christ. This is very important, though it doesn't directly affect us. It is encouraging to us to see and know how God works in His providence. It gives us, it helps us to grow our faith when we find ourselves in varying circumstances and in need of encouragement. And so uh, on our website, if you, if you go to the, the page that has the different people we support through Faith Promise, you can find the links to be able to sign up for these things. Be diligent in actually reading them. There's a, a lot that's going on for each of them that is worthy of celebrating, that is worthy of giving thanks for. And we want to be diligent to do what we said we would do, which would support not just financially, but prayerfully. And Paul gives us this example. And he's giving a divided people an example of how they might heal their rift. If they could but see how God has worked through Christ in each group. Remember what we read from chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, how they are mutually linked to one another for, the, for each of the group's lives, eternal lives. And so if they could cultivate, if they could but see where Christ is at work, starting there, uh, then they would have uh, the ability to mutually encourage one another. And that's true for us, too. When we find ourselves divided in any way, shape, or form within our church or within the kingdom itself with other Christians, one of our first moves ought to be, Lord, help me to see where you're at work in these people because I, I can't see it. It's okay to confess that, that you are at odds. It's, it, in fact, that's what we should do when we are because who can help heal that rift? but God himself and in through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ interceding for us. What a gift it is that we have access to all of these things. And so Paul is helping them to see what he's doing through the appreciative inquiry, through recognizing, and he's putting it in right order, not because of anything in them that they've done on their level, but what God is doing in his sovereign providence, in his, in his goodness to them, and in through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so... Listen to what Martin Luther says uh, about this passage. He says, Christian love manifests itself in this, that it rejoices at every good thing, that it, that it sees in others, especially at their spiritual blessings, and thanks God, and thanks God for them. That is my heart's cry. I, I want to see where God is at work in others and be able to be thankful for what he is doing for the life of the world, for what he's doing because it expresses his glory, which ultimately truly is to my individual benefit. When God's glory is beautifully displayed in the world, when he works in and through his people, it ought to encourage us. We ought to be on the lookout for that kind of stuff because we know that God has been faithful throughout the ages. We have experienced the goodness of Christ at various times in all of our lives. And so we want to be a people who are attuned to that, that that's more of what we're looking for than evidence of division. Now, where there is evidence of division, we have to name it. We have to, but for the purpose of reconciliation, right? We, we, we want to move toward each other, not away from each other. And so the question that I have for you is that what is God doing in the lives of fellow Christians around you for which you could give thanks that you're not directly benefiting from? If you were to say, I don't know, 
Well, that's again, that's a good confession given how Christ has forgiven us. It's a good confession because you're not stuck there. And so how, the next question is, how can we make this a regular practice? How, how can we add this to or make it part of our Lord's Day Sabbath practice or even a regular practice throughout the week where we are asking the Lord at some point in the week, would you show me, Lord, where you are at work in the lives of those around my spheres of influence, people I go to church with and people I don't go to church with so that I might be encouraged in you, seeing your glory at work. And so that I might have something to testify to on the Lord's Day Sabbath when I gather with family or friends and discuss how you've been good this week. Think of the gift that would be to us for that to be our orientation in a world that has become insanely cynical and anxious and angry. What a gift this would be to the world itself, uh, that this would be our orientation. All right, if you would look back down to verses 9 through 15 as Paul's going to pray for mutual encouragement and, and, and ask for the Lord to make him an instrument in his hands. So he's not just praying for them. He's saying, I want to participate in this. I want to uh, be able to, to see this glory in person. Notice what he says. He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Again, just evidencing his humility and his submission to the gospel, that he is not his own. He doesn't get to speak his own words or give his own interpretation. This is what he has submitted his life to and his calling to and his gifts to. goes on, that without ceasing, I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Notice again how he recognizes that his inability to actually have come to the Roman church to for which he's desired to do and tried to do, that it was ultimately God's sovereignty that kept him from being able to. This is an important thing for us who as a church over the last year have uh, had to move from our one tabernacling location to tabernacle in another location at RTS Atlanta and praise be to God that we had somewhere to go. But, but that, that move was a stress and a strain on us in a variety of ways. It was a stress and strain on you in a variety of ways. And so the Lord gave us somewhere to go. Now we could say, well, Lord, why don't we have a building yet? Why, why is this our story? Well, we have to trust him. We have to look for ways in which he is using and weaving that story into the greater redemptive story. And we need to learn how to give thanks for the other churches who have not had to endure what we've endured so that they might actually be an encouragement to us, so that we might be encouraged by what God is doing and might do at some point in our future. While it's been a difficult year in many respects, God has been good throughout. And I want to encourage you, we're going to have a prayer meeting for the congregation on Wednesday. Uh, the 28th, to just give thanks to God. It'll be, it'll be an open floor, and so we'll, we'll let folks testify and pray uh, to how God has been good over the last year in preparation for us returning to the community center on the 2nd of May, which has been a long journey and still not entirely over yet, but praise be to God. He's sustained us. He's protected us. He's shown us some things that we needed to see that maybe we couldn't see otherwise, and it's His sovereignty his providence, his goodness to us, actually, to carry us in this way. The key is, can we see that? Can we confess to that even when we can't see it in full and trust him? He goes on to say, for I long to see you. So it's evidence. He has an affection for the Roman church. And, and notice the humility. He's an apostle. 
He's talking to a group of people who've gotten sideways on a bunch of stuff, but pay attention to what he says next. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He had the humility. He could have easily said, listen, you all don't have anything to teach me. What you've done is mess up one of the best things God, God has ever done in history, the fulfillment of all the promises in Christ, the yes and the amen. And, and you turkeys have decided that, that, that you would take matters into your own hands and, and basically rewrite redemptive history in your own image. He could have easily said, there's nothing for me to learn from that. And this is instructive to us as to how we engage with each other when we need to be confronted. That, that even in that confrontation, because it's being done in and through Christ, that it can be mutually edifying. There's actually things that can be learned in both directions, but that requires a, a humbleness on, on, the, on the part of both. But what a beautiful thing it is when the person who has the authority comes in. And this is very convicting to me as, as, as the, the shepherd of this, as the under shepherd of this church, that, that he comes in with such humility and longing and, and wanting to see God at work in their midst. Uh, and he recognizes that this actually is going to be for both of us. Now, he mentions that he would like to impart some spiritual gift. Now, we could mistakenly hear and only think about like supernatural gifts mentioned in Corinthians. But later in Romans, he's going to give a list of gifts that include encouragement, administration, mercy, and a number of other things. But particularly for Paul, the thing that he wants to impart from his perspective is, is the gospel, which he gets to here in just a bit. His longing is to preach the gospel to help instruct them, frame them, form them, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what will bring them back together. And so he goes on to say, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented for a variety of reasons, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as, well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he wants to come and, and benefit them with the gospel. He wants to come because he's been called specifically to the Gentiles in particular, although he frequently uh, ministers to the Jews, as he will throughout the book of Romans. And, and he, he wants to see God glorified. He wants to see the family get bigger. And that is what drives him. Not anger at their division, not, not frustration at their failure to understand the gospel as they should have, but what drives him, what ought to drive us, is that we want to see people come to taste and see that the Lord is good, to know our King, to know our Savior, to know Jesus as Lord, and us as brothers and sisters to them in Christ, by faith alone, through grace alone. He goes on to say, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now this under obligation is strong language. He actually is saying, I am indebted to. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say that he's indebted to God. He's not saying, I owe God anything. What he's saying is, and this is, this is powerful, he's saying, I owe the unbelievers around me, regardless of who they are. Notice how he gave two ends of the spectrum, the Greeks and the barbarians, the Greeks who had all this philosophy and, and, and stood around and talked a whole bunch and considered themselves kind of the cream of the crop, 
and barbarians, people who would just slaughter other people and didn't care about culture and didn't care about standing around uh, uh, talking about things. They were doers, and the, the wise and the unwise, uh, uh, the wise and the foolish. He's not there to make a distinction. He is indebted to those who don't know because of how glorious the gift of the gospel is to him. He's indebted to those who don't have eternal life precisely because he does. Now think about that for just a moment. Think of how we at times, and I'll just confess my own sin, have looked down on unbelievers and thought I owed them nothing because of they're, they're the ones that got themselves into that mess. They're the ones that have messed their lives up, have not in any way, shape, or form thought I was indebted to them for anything because I was better than them because I have eternal life. I look down on them because of their lack of wisdom, or I look down on them for trusting in their culture or philosophy. I look down on them for thinking themselves wise according to worldly standards, and I've looked down on the foolish. You probably have too. It's important that we see, look, we've been given this gift. As earthen vessels, we contain an absolute eternal treasure. And that is to be shared with whomever the Lord places in our spheres of influence. We are indebted to those who don't believe because we should, we should long for them to know what we know. And until that passion changes in our hearts, we will not be a city on a hill. We essentially are sticking our light under a bushel. We are evidencing that we really don't care about the life of the world. And so Paul gives us this beautiful picture of, of what we ought look like. That's why in the key truth, it's as debtors to the gospel. Again, not that we owe anything to Jesus, but because of the gospel, we are indebted to share. It is so great a gift that, that it, 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 it just in and of itself requires sharing and ought be shared with whomever has not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What would it look like if that was our heart as a church? And a huge part of that is we can't be expending our energy fighting one another. We can't be wasting our time trying to act as if anytime we try to act as one group is better than another. In fact, look what Paul's rendering this down to. He says, you guys are trying to act like you're better than each other. I would argue that we are all lesser than unbelievers uh, in a sense, we are indebted to unbelievers because they don't have what we have, that we would long for them to know what we know. And so that should be the focus of the church. That should be where all of the energy goes, is in preparing for and, and, and carrying that message forth to our friends and our neighbors and our family members who don't know Jesus. This is why we are still here. We're not still here to preserve something that we've proven. The church has proven she's a horrible museum. In fact, the museum that we are is actually a hall of horrors. It is a testimony actually to the sovereignty of God that, that even a church would still exist after all the things that we've done in the name of Christianity. It's only because of his providence and his goodness for which we should give thanks. His preserving of a remnant, ensuring that his name would be glorified in all the earth at some point. It's only because of him that the church still exists. But we need to get ourselves oriented and, and focus on what is our mission. Now, did I just say you got to run out and just start sharing the gospel ad nauseum with all your neighbors and be um, frustrating to them and that's all you talk about? 
No, that's not what I said. Each of us, according to the gifts and the circumstances that he's entrusted to us, should work together as an entire unit uh, to help uh, in this regard, to help train each other up, to mutually encourage one another, to share in the various ways in which he has given us. I've mentioned this before. My wife has this amazing ability to share the gospel through hospitality and just, and, and just the way that she carries herself so that when she does speak, uh, when she does get to the point of saying, hey, this is the gospel, uh, it, hearts are well prepared. Um, whereas I am, am more, uh, more conversant and more uh, challenging and, and, and deal with it in a completely different way than she does. And both have been effective. Both have seen people's lives transformed and changed in the power of the gospel for the glory of God. And so it's, it's, it's critical that we, one, we work together, and two, that we recognize not everybody's called to do the exact same thing in the exact same way. But we are all to have the same heart which Paul is evidencing to us here. And notice he says, because of this heart, he's eager. He's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let me just remind us that that word gospel, it is good news because what God has done through Christ. It's not good news because we're going to do something with it. It's not good news because we're going to accomplish anything. It's not good news because we're better than anybody else. It is purely good news because God, without distinction, as far as we are concerned, has, has chosen to redeem us in and through Christ and redeem us in full, to bring us out of, of the, the, the chains and the slavery of sin and death and set us free in the power of the resurrection and then to empower us to walk in newness of life as Christ has ascended and His work has been received and He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and has poured out into us the Holy Spirit and given us access to all the heavenly blessings because we are at peace with God. We get to come into the heavenly throne room and be heard face to face by our Father, be uh, granted what we need in a time of trouble. Would that we took that more seriously. Would that I was more dependent upon the means of grace so that this would be the heart cultivated in me and the heart that's cultivated in us. And so listen to what Francis Schaeffer says about this passage. He says, Paul is not distant or aloof from the people he writes to. Rather, he longs to be with them. There's a genuine affection on Paul's part, even, even though they have, have messed things up and are marring their witness in some ways. His desire that they be established parallels Luke's desire that his friend Theophilus might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed from Luke 1.4. Paul knows that such maturity will bring sweet and wonderful fellowship between himself and the Romans. He expects to receive a blessing from them as well as giving one to them. This is surely true among Christians always. When the relationship is what it should be, meaning reconciled together in Christ, nobody vying for power, nobody uh, sanctimoniously condescending one another because of differences and other things, then the blessings run in both directions. What a gift that would be if we began to come to worship or small group or, or prayer or one of our discipleship groups or any circumstance where we, the people of God, come together expecting to be mutually edified, expecting that the blessing would run in both directions because what Christ has done to unify and forge us together for his purpose. 
and that that would serve as encouragement to others, that it would actually be something worth people being drawn or invited into, that that, that, that kind of hospitality would have eternal implications for those in our spheres of influence. Would that this would be true of us in some measure, I've, I've seen it be true of us. And so I am, I am encouraged as to what we've endured over the last year to see the ways in which we've struggled but tried to fight toward each other, tried to hear each other in some measure. It's not been easy because of a variety of reasons. But even though the, there have been mistakes made in lots of different directions, more has been the encouragement that has come from a willingness to stick together and stick it out and to try to, to, to understand where God is at work in our midst. And so what I would ask you is, is again, this is helpful to that appreciative inquiry, that, that discussing the goodness of God. How have you experienced mutual encouragement among fellow Christians? See, we, we, we need to recognize that. The, the many occasions in which we've had, small and large, where there's been mutual encouragement, we sat down with someone and didn't know that we were gonna, how we were gonna benefit from it, didn't expect uh, particularly, wasn't looking for anything in particular, and yet the Lord spoke or encouraged. It could be a, even a random running, this happens to me frequently in the, in the places that I go, where the Lord providentially, I run into somebody or I meet someone and a relationship forms and it's, it stays encouraging over years. Uh, it's one of the great ways in which the Lord has been good and gracious to me personally as, as, as someone called to ministry. And then what could you do to be more proactive about pursuing this in your spheres of influence? Well, Paul's example is that the, the first layer of proactivity is one, to recognize where God is already doing it. And then two, to pray to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, to say, I want to participate in this. Would you use me, Lord? Even where it's difficult. In fact, where it's difficult is often where the glory of God shines the brightest, where that which we thought was a road that was out or a bridge that was out, a relationship that was no longer to be repaired, could be in your marriage, could be with your children, could be with your family, could be with somebody at church, could be with someone else in the kingdom could be with, with, within any and all relationships that we're involved in. But what would it do? What kind of encouragement would it give you? How would it push the darkness of cynicism back just a little bit further for the Lord to be at work in that particular circumstance? Would you have the courage to pray for that? Would you have the courage to endure and persevere in praying for that? These are the things that we should long for and fight for. These are the things we should not give up easily on. So Romans 1, 8 through 15 teaches us that as debtors to the gospel, debtors to those in our spheres of influence who don't know Jesus, that we cultivate our affections for others, particularly others who we are in disagreement with, by giving thanks for God's work in them. God is at work everywhere. God is at work in some fashion in every riven thing, every person around us. So are we looking for that? Do we have the eyes to see? Are we our ears attuned? Do we know enough of Scripture that we will be able to see it and hear it when it occurs? And then part of that proactive move is to pray for opportunities to be mutually encouraged by them, that it wouldn't run in one direction, that there would be no no hierarchical circumstance where, where you are the, 
the, the expert and they are the student. No, we recognize because of who God is and how he is at work sovereignly in all things, we are both students. Sometimes being able to help the other student with a bit more than what they presently understood and vice versa. And so, church, would you, would you join me in, in making a regular practice of, of just discussing how God has been good, that this would be something we would do with each other on a regular basis. In fact, Sunday mornings are a great place to do this with each other, to testify to each other about how God has been good. Now, there's lots of things that get testified to on Sunday mornings that, that are, are okay, but, but what would it look like if this was how we use that time of fellowship together, especially for those of you who are not going to see each other much during the week, either because of geography or schedule or circumstance. What would it look like if in our small groups, this was a regular practice, that part of what the, the groups would do, all the different groups that meet together, that there was a regular time, it doesn't have to be every time you get together, but a regular time where you pause and give thanks for how God is at work in other people that don't directly necessarily benefit you outside of the benefit of God being glorified. And then would you, would you join us in praying specifically that we would be instruments in the Redeemer's hands so that in humility we would be able to receive from one another. I have received many things from you all uh, throughout this season. You've been very encouraging. You've been very edifying to me. I've learned a lot from you, and I, I'm thankful for that. Thank you. Uh, for helping keep this church going during what was a difficult time, both through your generosity, through your encouragement, checking in on various uh, ones of us in leadership and those who serve as elders and deacons. Thank you for being willing to lay aside some of your preferences to be able to gather together and worship. We still have a little while yet left to do that. Um, and so, so you'll be hearing more about that here in just a bit. And so uh, thank you for uh, making it possible to endure w what has been a really tough time on all of us, but, but those of us in particular uh, who were in leadership, especially for the church, since for many of us, church was probably the thing that was most affected uh, in our lives. And so uh, join me in, in this, this act of humility, this, act of, this regular practice of gratitude and pursuit of the good that the Lord has given to us in and through the gospel as we are debtors, debtors to those around us who don't yet know him, given how wonderful the treasure is that we hold because of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are gracious and you're good. And there are many examples where you have been good in the lives of those around us. May we be a people whose eyes and ears are attuned to where you are working in and through uh, other folks in the kingdom, folks that it's not a direct benefit to us. It's not maybe even in our sphere of influence, in our context. So God, I, I pray that we would grow in gratitude, that the Spirit would orient us, that the Spirit would prick our hearts in the places where there is evidence of your working goodness and glory. And may that not cause us to be jealous or covetous, but instead that it would humble us that you and make us expectant of how you might work in and through us to encourage others. I pray that you would make us instruments for redemption, that, that you would fashion us further into the image of Christ as ambassadors of reconciliation, and that in humility we would recognize the 
the, the mutual flow of edification and encouragement between those who profess Christ as Savior. God, would you help us uh, to grow in this despite the things that have sought to divide us from the last year and years past and even in years to come. Would you help us to be a people swift to pursue reconciliation in our midst and otherwise that is eternal work. That's the kind of stuff when built on the firm foundation that will weather your holy fire and be purified for even greater glory. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.